0: Welcome to a special edition of Between the Headphones, Behind Enemy Bylines, the preseason preview podcast. I'm Owen Warden, your host for this podcast miniseries, where I'll talk with several student journalists from a few of Georgia's opponents for the 2023 season. Next up is Caleb Giroux from Tennessee, Georgia's 11th opponent of the season and its final SEC opponent. Welcome back to another preseason preview podcast. Today, we've got... uh... We've got someone hailing from the land of Knoxville, Tennessee. Caleb, go ahead and introduce yourself, man.
1: Yeah, so I'm a, I'm Caleb Gyro, sports editor here at the Daily Beacon in the University of Tennessee. So vibes are good for football season this year in Knoxville and get ready to get into it and preview some preseason talk here.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, from the on-paper perspective, I mean, this has got to be one of the most anticipated matchups, at least for Georgia's season season. Um, Tennessee's got a few more other opponents that we'll certainly get into kind of towards the end of this podcast. But no, I mean, it, it, one of the most iconic games from last year was Georgia-Tennessee. Um, and, and anyone that went to that game from from our perspective can certainly say that considering how loud it was. Um it wasn't even there, and I could hear how loud it, it was in that stadium. But, you know, Tennessee played a lot of other games and had a lot of other high moments themselves, plus a couple low. So, Caleb, go ahead and run me through some of the uh, – some of the high moments, some of the low moments from Tennessee season last year.
1: Yeah, so obviously I'd say anytime you talk about 2022 at Tennessee, you'll have to talk about the Alabama game where Tennessee upset Alabama and Neyland Stadium. And that was probably the highest moment of the year that set up that Georgia game later in the year would be like, a, I think it was one or t- one versus two or two versus three, depending on what poll you were looking at. So obviously Alabama would be the high. I think that'll be a high that a lot of fans remember forever, really, from that game. And overall, the season, I'd say, ended pretty well. I mean, you went 11-2, and and that's the first time since 2001 that they got 11 wins, so that's a pretty big accomplishment there. But the lowest of the low came against South Carolina when you Tennessee travels to William Bryce Stadium, and there's some locker room issues, and then Hendon Hooker goes down with a torn ACL. And it felt like everything that could go wrong went wrong for Tennessee that game. And they lost that game, and that's where their second loss came from. And in all reality if that night goes a little different, you have Hendon Hooker at the Heisman ceremony in New York and Tennessee might be able to sneak into the playoff at number four. So that's probably as low as it would get as well. So I feel like Tennessee fans got both the highest moment they could and the lowest with South Carolina. And it, it's kind of funny because South Carolina, Josh Dobbs in 2016, South Carolina was the team that kind of ruined that season as well. So it seems like the Gamecocks, anytime Tennessee has something going for them tend to ruin it. But, yeah, overall, I mean, first eleven win season since two thousand one, and now it's just a matter of sustaining that success and looking forward to twenty twenty three.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it was such a fun team. I mean, from all from all perspectives, and I mean, Josh Heupel call, calls such a great offense that like you can't have fun, you can't you can't help but have fun watching that team on offense. And you know, the defense is a little bit different. It's a little bit shaky to say the least. But that offense is so high powered that i mean it carried it carried that tennessee team to to 11 wins and you can never complain about getting double digit wins in college football especially in the sec considering how hard it is and especially when you play georgia and alabama i mean come on
1: tennessee's schedule year in and year out is not one that lends itself to be easy and with the divisions going away that might become different but Having Alabama as your cross-divisional opponent is just not fun.
0: No, not at all. And, and then even then with divisions going away, you still got Georgia and Alabama still on the schedule. So I don't, think, I don't think Tennessee will ever escape a tough schedule, but, I mean, Georgia will be coming along with them pretty soon. But, you know, I mentioned Josh Heupel a little bit there, and, you know, the, 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 the coaching staff is pretty consistent, but, uh, you know, go ahead and run me through kind of what's, what's Josh Heupel's staff looking like. Yeah, something that Josh Heupel has kind
1: of made a standard at Tennessee is having continuity. From year to year in his coaching staff so from year one to now there hasn't been very much turnover at any position and more importantly you never see a guy in Josh Heifel's on Josh Heifel's coaching staff excuse me leave for the same position so this past season Alex Golish offensive coordinator left to become the head coach at the University of South Florida so obviously got a promotion and on paper with the offense obviously you could say yeah Alex Goelich might be a big loss, but in reality, it's Josh Heupel's offense, and the offensive coordinator is really just agreeing with his schemes nine times out of ten. But he got replaced with Joey Halsley, who was the quarterback's coach, which, funny enough, you don't often see teams have a designated quarterback's coach. It's usually the offensive coordinator who doubles as the quarterback's coach, especially with Josh Heupel, who was a quarterback himself. It was kind of strange to see that. And now you see why, because he thinks so much of Halsley. He made him offensive coordinator, promoted him, so now he's O.C., and quarterbacks coach he shares the same offensive prowess that Josh Heifel does they agree on all the schemes so I don't think we'll see any drop off from play calling there with Halsley being the OC compared to Golish last season and besides that I mean everybody really else has stayed the same I mean you still have Tim Banks running your defense in that 4 5 nickel that is weird and if you have depth it works but like last year we saw they didn't have depth so you saw some struggles and Kelsey Pope is really the only other coaching change that comes to mind, and that was last year, and he was another in-house hire. He went from analyst to wide receivers coach. So I don't see a lot of changes in this staff, and I think it's a testament to the culture that Heupel is building that he wants to keep the same guys in the building. He wants his guys preaching the same message, and you see that in recruiting, and you see that in the locker room right now.
0: No, absolutely. And no, it is very weird the fact that, because in the NFL, it's a very common occurrence that you do have a quarterback's coach. It's a very common thing. But in college football, it's not at all. I mean, you look at – you look at Georgia's offensive coordinators last year and this year. I mean, Munkin ran with the quarterbacks, and Bobo, in his previous stint and his current stint, worked with the quarterbacks as well, in addition to to play calling duty. So it's really interesting. And, and again, I think you nail it right on the head. It was clear that this guy was set up to be the next guy, and 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 clearly he steps right in. And again, like I've I've got the same opinion that um that you do about Tennessee's offense. And even though Kirby Smart is nowhere near the offensive minded coach. He's very much a defensive guy with Mike Bobo stepping in for Georgia. I expect a similar thing like for Tennessee. So very similar offensive changes. So yeah, sure. New offensive coordinator on paper, maybe things would change, but I think the system's going to stay the same for both teams. And I think it's going to be very similar and still very strong offenses, especially Tennessee's. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous one in its own right, but you know, we, we talked a lot about guys like Hendon hooker and he had a couple wide receivers that were pretty impressive as well. So let's go ahead and hop into some of the guys that left the team. You know, whether that was NFL draft, whether that was the transfer portal, who are some of those key guys that that left the team this offseason?
1: Yeah, I think Hendon Hooker is going to be your biggest one. And I don't think his production can ever really be understated. And you don't realize it until you look and compare it in Tennessee's history. I mean, Tennessee has guys like T. Martin and Peyton Manning who have come through. And those are big names. And you look at Hendon Hooker, he threw over 3,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, with only two interceptions. Last season, which is insane, especially when you think about how much he was passing the ball in Heifel's offense. And he holds the Tennessee record now for completion percentage, which he broke his own record that broke Peyton Peyton Manning's record, excuse me, before that. So right under 70 percent was his completion percentage. I mean, stuff like that, it's hard to come by in college football to have a quarterback that smart, but also have the arm talent to run that offense and do it very successfully. And like I stated previously, if he doesn't get injured against South Carolina and he's able to finish the year, I think he's in New York for the Heisman ceremony and I think he has a very good chance at winning the Heisman Trophy for what he did at Tennessee. And like you mentioned, it helps that he was throwing to Jalen Hyatt, the Milinkoff Award winner out of the slot who was taking, I mean, if you look at that Alabama game, that'll be a nightmare for Crimson Tide fans forever. Is watching Jalen Hyatt run streaks all night. And then on the other side of him, although he was hurt most of the year, Cedric Tillman went to the NFL and he's having a lot of success right now running with the Giants and you see videos of him on Twitter every day. And, the unspoken hero that we see now, because it's a big question in fall and spring camp, or was a big question, is the offensive line. Darnell Wright goes to the NFL, and you lose Jerome Carvin as well. You don't remember Hendon Hooker getting sacked very much. You don't remember pressure getting to him at all. That was not something that happened in 2022. I mean, Darnell Wright, when you look at his PFF grades, he didn't give up a sack all season. So obviously they were doing something right, and Hendon Hooker was getting the ball out quick, and he had very good pocket presence. So when you put all of those pieces together – you realize why that offense in 2022 was so well, so, so well ran. And then you realize why there's so many questions coming into 2023, obviously of Joe Milton stepping in, but still, can he match Hooker's production and be as smart and have the pocket presence and run that offense to such a high degree? I'm not sure. And I, I don't think we'll find out for several weeks.
0: No, I completely agree. And we'll, and, and we'll definitely touch on Joe Milton here shortly, but no, I mean, I mean, I really loved Cedric Tillman. I know he's hurt a lot, but he he's, a dynamic player, that I think is going to be really fun for the Browns, and we've been seeing a lot of Jalen Hyatt highlights from the Giants, and and you know I think I think you know his route tree was limited, uh, but that was p- completely fine for Tennessee because he was able to torch Alabama, uh, he torched guys like Chris Smith for Georgia's defense, um, pretty a, a decent amount of times, even though he didn't always get the ball, just because that Georgia pass rush was really working that day, um, so. No, Hyatt's Hyatt's a, a a speed freak and 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 Darnell right alone. I don't even think he allowed a pressure if I if I remember correctly. I mean it was it was that dominant of a season at right tackle. And even though he struggled at left early on in his career, him moving to right tackle was clearly a massive boost for him and a massive boost for this team. And then a guy that I mean we talked a lot about the offense, but there was one piece on the defense that I really liked, and that was Byron Young, really athletic guy, not a big stat pusher for Tennessee, and I think that's why he didn't go as high as he could but I mean you you look at his combine performance he definitely had some athleticism and, and and some talent off the edge for for Tennessee and that's definitely still someone that Tennessee will definitely have to look to replace um so it'll be an interesting team but again you drop Joe Milton and I think that's probably one of the biggest returnees especially from everybody else um looking in uh, to Tennessee but alongside Joe Milton who else are some of those key players that are back for another season with Tennessee?
1: Yeah, so Brew McCoy in the wide receiver room is back. He uh, he stepped up last year with Cedric Tillman out a lot. He was the transfer. He transferred from Texas to the West Coast and USC, and then he finally got eligible from USC to come to Tennessee. And He's a big body, and he can move very well, and he plays wide receiver like a running back. And that's something you don't see very often. And in an offense where you're passing so much and trying to get those guys the ball so they can get yards after catch, He's somebody that I think will step up this year. And you talked about Byron Young, who's gone from the defense. But really, aside from him, the defense brings back a lot of their production, or at least the good production they had from 2022. I mean, Aaron Beasley led the defense in tackles, and he's back, and he's taking a vocal lead of the defense. He's the quarterback of the defense now from that linebacker spot and the weak side linebacker spot. And you see that in practice. He's calling plays. He's talking to the younger guys, and he's being very loud, very vocal. You also have guys like Amari Thomas, who was a nose tackle and really, like you said, with Byron Young, Amari Thomas was not somebody who really stuffed the stat sheet, but he could take up two, three blocks on the front to let your linebackers get up and get the running back. Another guy, Elijah Simmons, he's changed his number from 50, 60 to number 10 he wants to be a new player new guy the new number everything kind of going into this year he's another big body you'll see on the defensive line you've got edge rushers like Roman Harrison he's back defensive backs Jalen McCullough kind of taking a step forward from last season along with some transfers you bring in a couple good freshmen on that secondary so all in all your defense returns a ton now it's just a matter of if those returners and veterans take a step forward which I feel like thus far and from spring and then now into fall camp, I feel like they've taken at least some sort of step forward. It's just a matter of is it enough to make an improvement from last season.
0: Definitely, and and and, and it's a very old defense. It's, it's a, I mean, you look across it, it's pretty much seniors and redshirt juniors across. So it's, it's a group with a lot of experience, and, and sometimes that's enough, you know, you, to just have these guys with experience that can come together and that have experience not only with Tennessee but with playing with each other. And, and that just can really develop a defense unlike before. And because you don't see that all the time, especially when you are kind of a powerhouse, you don't see a defense like that stick together so well. So I am curious to see what they did. Their production wasn't great last year. It was a bit of a rough, it was a bit of a rough defense, but I mean, with them being with pretty much returning nearly the entire defense, I mean, you got to expect it at least to, to take it another step uh, forward. And I'm curious to see what it does. One name you didn't mention, alongside Brew McCoy, who I'm really excited to see kind of step into this, that full starter, Squirrel White. You know, he had a awesome bowl game. He is kind of claimed to be that Jalen Hyatt heir apparent, which, you know, I mean, it's tough to say that he necessarily will be because when Hyatt, Hyatt produced a lot and you don't want to just plug somebody in and say he absolutely will be Hyatt's production, but if there is if there is anybody to replicate what, what Hyatt did for this team, Squirrel White is that kind of guy and that's a guy I'm really excited to see him and Joe Milton really pair up and see what those do. and again, Brew McCoy as well, can really do for that offense. But, yeah, that's going to be exciting.
1: Yeah, I really like the, a guy like Squirrel White, and something we've seen especially, <clears throat> the on-field production is not, has not ever been questioned, but now we've seen him come out of his shell. So he's talking to media a lot more. You see him talking to his fellow players at practice. Him and Brew are always pointing down the field talking. You can tell they're talking about what route they're supposed to be running the defense. And another guy, which I forgot to mention, was Ramel Keaton. He was a guy that stepped in really big when Cedric Tillman went out, and he made a signature diving catch to seal seal the game against Alabama, really. He was on the field against Florida when Cedric was in and out with the ankle injury. He's somebody who can, if he's not on the field starting, he can definitely be a rotation player and benefit this offense. So, yeah, while you lose a lot of production in Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, you have those guys, you have those pieces there, it's just a matter of putting them on the field and letting that athleticism show inside the offense.
0: Agreed, 100%. I mean, it's it's a, fun, it's, a gr- it's a group of three. And again, I don't know necessarily that they will be those. They will be Cedric Tillman, if they will be Jalen Hyatt. But it's three fun players that should still be, that should still contribute to a really strong offense. And again, we talked about that experience on defense. But Tennessee brought in a lot of players this year. They had one of the top 15 uh, recruiting classes in the nation this year. Plus some, plus some pretty strong transfers to come in. So go ahead and rock, walk me through some of these freshmen, some of these transfers that could make an impact right away this season.
1: Yeah, in that wide receiver room, I think, is the biggest, literally and figuratively. You bring in Dante Thornton from Oregon. He's six foot five and he plays in the slot. So that is a guy who can run, and that is a guy who is huge. He's got a massive catch radius. Today we watched Joe Milton throw deep balls, and their connection is there. He's hitting him in stride. And it's really just fun. To watch Dante Thornton on the field. We got to watch a little bit of one-on-ones on Sunday. And it's I don't know how anybody can guard him at six foot five with the way he moves because anybody with height on the defensive side is not keeping up with his speed. And he makes he just makes it look easy. And he's a guy who transferred in. And as long as he has a hold on this offense, I don't see any way he's not on the field, whether it be outside or in the slot. Which is why you've seen some talk in the offseason about if Tennessee will run more four wide receiver sets and kind of take the tight end off. But we know with the up tempo, you kind of have to keep a tight end on there just to keep some run game in there. And then another transfer, there's a ton of questions on the offensive line right now, like we've said with Darnell Wright and Jerome Carvin leaving is you bring in John Campbell from Miami. He's kind of slid right in to one of those tackle spots. And with all the moving pieces, we don't know which side he really will be on, but he's on the line and he's contributing. And then Keenan Peely is a strong side linebacker. He's a veteran guy from BYU. I mean, the decision for him whenever he was talking to us was there was no longer like looking at cities or fans or anything like that. It was where he can get himself the best to go to the NFL. And so he's married. He has a kid. It's It was a business decision for him to come to Tennessee and He's been practicing with the first team at strong side linebacker. He looks like he can play the part. We've been told he's playing the part, and he's even taking a vocal leadership role as well. Because we talked about how old that defense is and how you have a ton of redshirt juniors and seniors, and then you have a ton of freshmen. When Jeremy Pruitt got fired, all of that, a lot of defensive talent transferred out. So that's why you have that kind of unique hole where the sophomore true junior class really isn't there, but you have a ton of freshmen and a ton of older guys. So Keenan Peely has stepped in and gelled really well with those older guys on the defensive end. And he's a guy that will will probably be starting and make a big impact. And then as far as freshmen, you bring in a trio of very talented freshman cornerbacks with Christian Conyer, Ricky Gibson, and Jordan Matthews. All three of those guys will probably find themselves in the rotation in some way, adding depth and competition to that defensive back room, which I think anybody who watched any Tennessee game last year knows that they really need depth and competition in that defensive back room. And aside from that, freshman-wise, I don't think we'll see any true contributors. Tight end Ethan Davis, he's a freshman. He might make some noise at the tight end spot pass catching. But then you have McClellan Cla- Castles, excuse me, another old guy coming in to play tight end. He can block, he can pass. He's from UC Davis, so he's seen a ton of football. So all in all, the transfers, Hypo, unlike some schools you've seen the SEC, where they're bringing in transfer portal classes to replace, like they don't have freshmen. Hypo saw where they had holes and tried to fill them. So tight end, linebacker, brought in a transfer corner. I forgot to mention Gabe, Judy, Lolly. Places where Tennessee needed help immediately is where he went to the transfer portal. It wasn't, we need to get a whole class. So I think that's what helps the transfers come in quicker and get the culture. and just All in all, that's why one of his transfer class was one of the best, because they just fit the needs of the team. There's no trying to force anything with his transfers.
0: Definitely. I mean it I mean it it feels like it's been a little bit, but I mean again, Dante Thornton, massive dude, big slot type of guy, really fun and exciting. And, and again, you got you got John Campbell, you got Keenan Peely. Like these guys are will probably and likely start and, and contribute for this team in somewhat, but a lot of the, the Tennessee's transfer portal did feel like depth. You just building out that, that rotation and building out that depth chart and making sure you've got guys in place that can play in certain places. Uh, and a lot of those freshmen, I think, are going to f- fill similar roles. Two guys that I really like that I don't, that I agree with you, I don't think will make a big impact right away, but two guys I definitely like. Uh, Nico Imaleva, Um, I mean, really exciting five-star quarterback, a guy that is, I mean, Joe Milton, unfortunately, this is his last year. He doesn't have really any more uh, left to show, so he's he's got to head to the NFL one way or another, but I mean, Nico is is kind of the next guy up. He's a really exciting player, and you know, quarterback is such a t- tough position to, to grade, but, I mean, you look at his high school tape, he's a fun player. And then uh David Hobbs, I mean, another guy that I think could really grow in this defense and could really kind of be that that big-time athletic defensive lineman that, that, you know, Tennessee brings in every so often. And, again, I don't know if we'll see him much this year, but I, I do think that down the line I think he will make an impact um, just based on how talented he is.
1: Yeah, David Hobbs, to start with him, is a guy that, His size is SEC ready. You could put him on the field tomorrow and he would survive size-wise. Like you said, there's veterans in front of him at the edge spot. Roman Harrison in particular is probably going to be starting in that Leo position that Tim Banks has where you're a hybrid edge rusher. But David Hobbs in the rotation could definitely get in, provide some depth, take some load off of some of the other guys that are running with the defense. And then Nico... He went through some mechanical changes in the spring, which had Tennessee fans worried because his throws did not look like his high school tape. But, man, in fall camp, he was throwing some beautiful deep balls today. I mean, tight spirals. He's just crisp, and he just flings the ball. And he is a perfect fit for Josh Heifel's offense and what he wants to run, his size. He put on 20, 30 pounds since he's gotten here. I think he should probably put on another 20, 30 just to to be able to take hits from defensive linemen that he's going to take in the SEC. I mean, there's no question, no matter how good your offensive line is. But he's a smart guy. He's slowly growing into that leadership role. And Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton had like a brother relationship. They were roommates. They went with each other everywhere, talked about everything. Even though Joe wasn't starting, he did everything he could for Hendon. And you don't see Joe Milton without Nico by his side. So it's kind of that same brotherhood relationship. And it's really – Fostering a culture at Tennessee where as soon as Joe is gone, it's kind of understood that Nico is the guy now, and it really should be a seamless transition once that happens. But like you said, unless Joe gets hurt, I don't think we see Nico this season unless it's against an Austin P in the fourth quarter. So all in all, I don't think we'll see anything this year. But that dude has some talent, and a couple years down the road, he could be a big piece of this offense.
0: No, definitely, I I completely agree, and and the best thing for his college career truthfully is probably the fact that Joe Milton is here for another year for the fact that he gets to not only learn from him, but, but not start right away. Cause he, I think he is that type of quarterback that needs a year to learn the offense, to, to fix things mechanically, to, to put on some weight and put on some muscle and really just kind of develop. And I think, I think just letting him sit in this offense for a year is going to be really beneficial for him. And I think he'll come out guns blazing in a year from now, but, Again, that's in a year from now. That's a whiles away. and and But we did see some struggles in spring, and I think that does support why, you know, he does need to sit for a year and does need to learn behind Joe Milton. But in addition to kind of, you know, maybe Nico struggling a little bit, which names, and we mentioned a couple, which names really were you hearing from camp that were really kind of standing out during the spring? Which guys really were making a lot of noise during practice, even before the spring game.
1: Yeah, I think Nico obviously was a big one just because he was a five-star, big shadow, big guy coming in. And like I previously said, you could see Joey Halsley, after almost every throw he made in practice, they were talking. So there were some mechanical changes going on. I tried to evaluate some film, and I'm by no means a quarterback's coach, but my guess would be Nico in high school had more of a three-quarter slot sidearm release, kind of like how you see Aaron Rodgers sling or Patrick Mahomes. And I think Joey Halsley and Heupel want to get him back over the top so he can throw over SEC defensive, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, really. So I think he's there now and that's kind of solved. So all the worries that we heard from Tennessee fans have calmed down now. But other guys that made some noise, you saw when Dante Thornton got to campus, that was probably the biggest one. Excuse me. He, I mean, he walked onto the field and he was massive. And that at the slot spot is crazy. And then Cameron Seldon was a freshman who came in as a wide receiver, and they moved him to running back to help add depth to that room and more competition because you had Jalen Wright and Jabari Small banged up in spring ball, really didn't participate at all. And Cameron Seldon, also with his size and running ability and really just learning running back so quickly, kind of made him a talking point in the spring as well. Deshaun Bishop was a low ranked prospect coming in, but he got a lot of run in the spring and impressed his coaches and a lot of us as well. Unfortunately, he suffered a lower leg injury, so he's out for two months in the fall. I didn't think we'd see him anyway in the fall just because of his youth and being a freshman, but Cam Seldon, too, made some noise. And all in all, the spring was a lot of watching Joe Milton and seeing how he led the offense through his first spring ball as the presumed starter. There was no longer a Hinton Hooker on campus. There was no longer really a quarterback battle, no matter how many people wanted to say there was a quarterback battle. There wasn't. It was Joe the whole time, so – that's the big thing to come out of spring. The spring game was kind of useless because a lot of the starters sat out just for minor injuries, so we didn't get to see much there. But all in all, I think the spring was very productive for the balls.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys did. We did not see a lot of players actually play for Tennessee aside from Joe, but he looked clean. He looked, He looked right. It, it. It felt. It felt right. Like, it felt like he was the starter. And again, we knew this. We knew that he was the starter coming into the season, especially when he did decide to come back, which I'm not surprised that he did, but we knew and there was no competition. Uh, so he just looked clean. He looked fluid, but yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of starters sat. So, I mean, but you heard a lot of, from freshmen and stuff like that, but you know, that was spring. Now we're into fall and that means football season is right around the corner. Go ahead and run me through Tennessee schedule. Obviously we know they play Georgia. They play Georgia every year and will seemingly at this point until the end uh for a long, long time considering how schedules are being made up. But, you know, aside from uh, – alongside Georgia and Alabama, and obviously talk about those games, what's Tennessee's schedule looking like?
1: So you open the season in Nashville against Virginia, which is virtually like playing an FCS team at this point. Then you also have Austin P, who is truly an FCS team, week two. So those first two weeks will be massive for finding out offensive line questions helping Joe Milton get comfortable, getting some freshman work that have not played football at the college level before. And then week three, you go to the Swamp, and there is no no longer time to adjust. I mean, you're in the thick of it. That game is going to be loud. It's going to be hot. And Tennessee has not won there since 2003. So that is an insane stat to think about. And just the fact that, I mean, it's going to be a tough road trip. That's going to be Joe Milton's true first road SEC game as the starter. And then you come back to Knoxville, which you're either going to be low after a loss or you're going to be high after a win, and you face the number one FCS team, UTSA. That's not going to be easy. I don't think they'll have trouble. I mean, UTSA will score. Their offense is explosive, but I hope Josh Heupel will have them locked in. And then you have the revenge game against South Carolina the next week. That'll be highly emotional South Carolina Bring Spencer Rattler back, a couple good running backs. I mean, they're going to be talented. And then this is my biggest question mark on the schedule. Texas A&M. I mean, will they – last season we saw how disappointing A&M was. Will they be back to what they're supposed to be with their number one recruiting classes every year? Or will they be another 6-6 six and six team? I mean, that could be a game I could see swinging either way for Tennessee and then travel to Tuscaloosa, the another place Tennessee hasn't won since 2003. I don't think – I mean, that'll. that's one of my games I have circled. That'll be a super fun matchup. I have no idea who's going to be playing quarterback for Alabama. I don't think anybody does. And if whoever's playing quarterback for Alabama, will they be capable of playing quarterback at a high level? We don't know. I mean, it seems like at this point Nick Saban's going to sit in the I formation the whole game. So that'll be interesting to see. And then you've got Kentucky, which – I don't know if you listened to it, Owen, but uh, Josh Pate said last night that Devin Leary has a chance to be a Heisman caliber quarterback at Kentucky. So we heard the same thing about Will Levis and Tennessee somehow held him to under 100 yards, but traveling to Lexington is not easy. And then really from there, I mean, you got UConn, a November game in Missouri is not fun for anybody involved. That'll be freezing. And then Georgia comes to Neyland Stadium, which I got in a little bit of trouble on fine bomb yesterday because I said... That game, I mean, it's the second-to-last game. We don't know if that'll be the SEC East Championship or if Tennessee will be favored to win that game. And apparently, a lot of Georgia fans did not like me saying that. But I think that game will end up being the, probably the SEC East Championship. And in Neyland Stadium, Tennessee has a very good shot to finally get over the hump of beating Georgia. And then you finish the year with Vanderbilt coming to Knoxville, which, I mean, Vanderbilt will be better maybe than they were last year, but it's still it's still Vanderbilt, so... All in all, the schedule shapes out pretty well, what you'd expect. This every, the every other year, where this part of the every other year when you have to travel to Florida and travel to Alabama is tough, and I think it would be tough if Hendon Hooker was playing quarterback still. So, that's my takeaways on it. That A M game is still a wild card, and if Devin Leary is good, then maybe Kentucky will be favored in Lexington, but that's still a long ways away at this point.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a long ways away and I mean again, I don't think you're you're far off on on your assessment of what that Georgia-Tennessee game is. I mean, there's a strong I mean it it really does come down to what has Tennessee done leading up into that game and 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 that's obviously going to be a great conversation when we do get to meet again and we do talk again, especially around that game because a lot can happen in college football and a lot can change and there's two I mean even though Florida isn't the craziest like rostered team, right? They're not, they don't have an insane roster. Their team isn't stacked. You know, kind of like if you compare Tennessee and Florida on paper, Tennessee's got the better roster. They've got the better, they've got the better tools in the toolkit, but the swamp is a different place. And, and it's a hard place to go into. It's a hard place to go into early in the season, especially while it's still summer and and, and stuff like that, or even just early fall where that summer heat is still sticking around. It's a tough place to play. Alabama is going to be brutal, even if the quarterback situation is a little funky. They've still got Jace McClellan there, but they but they've also got a guy I'm really high on, and Justice Haynes, who I'll keep pounding the table for. That dude is insane. Um, and I and I think that was showcased. He ran for like what three touchdowns in their spring game. Like he he's a guy that I'm definitely aware of going into the season, despite him being a freshman. I think if there's anybody that that's out there that can light up the scoreboard as a freshman, it's him. And those two games are really gonna be brutal. And I mean again, Tuscaloosa itself is a brutal place to play. So yeah, I mean, I think I think it could absolutely be that if Tennessee wins both of those games and and they sweep the rest of the season, yeah, I could absolutely see Tennessee being favored once again, heading into that Georgia game. Because yeah, they beat Alabama once again. They they've cleaned through their schedule. Georgia doesn't have the same schedule as Tennessee does, and for that reason. Yeah, I could absolutely see Tennessee being favored, depending on how it comes into. But if, but if Tennessee did lose the Florida game, if they did lose the Alabama game, and maybe if, if there has been a, some struggles across the season, then, yeah, it also makes sense that Georgia would come into Neyland with a little bit of favoritism, even though they're coming into Neyland, which is also not an easy place to play. So I don't think you're that far off. I think there's a lot of things that can go on with that game and it even more so because it's at the very end of the season.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'll stick by what I said. I'm fine. I mean, it'll probably end up being the sec East championship. I mean, you think about in previous years, Tennessee has not been what Tennessee was in the late nineties, early two thousands and playing Georgia was still the sec East championship, even though Tennessee was not good. So I think it'll end up being that. And, at home, depending on how their season goes, like you said, I don't I I could easily see a way where Tennessee is favored and then beating Georgia would not be an upset by Vegas. But a lot has to go right. And I don't I mean, football is weird. You can have the best team. I mean, think I mean, Georgia won the championship with Stetson Bennett, and they had plenty of more talented quarterbacks and talented teams, I'd say, and you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, maybe, that didn't. Do the things that Setson Bennett did. So football's weird. That's just how it is, and a lot can happen between now and November.
0: No, absolutely. And and again, you can't you can't discredit home home field advantage. That's not something you can ever discredit. And I think no matter what, I still think it's going to be the SEC championship because it was last year. Let's be let's face it. Even though if it was middle, even though it was middle of the season, it was absolutely the SEC championship, the SEC East championship, and it's going to be again this year. I mean, I'm really high on South Carolina, but Georgia plays them so early in the season. I highly doubt that's going to be considered the SEC East championship and stuff like that. So, I don't think that's bold at all uh, to to say that that's probably going to be the SEC East championship because those are two statistically the best se- the best teams in the SEC East and it's going to be a fun matchup no matter what. But, you know, we've we've kind of had some bold takes. You talked about a bold take you had on Fine Bomb, but I want to go away from those bold takes and get something a little bit different. So, you know, you you've got you've got that it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a big game for Georgia and stuff like that. But for Tennessee specifically, you know, what's a big take you have for their season this year? I,
1: I really think the biggest take will be that the defense might uh, catch a lot more attention than it did in twenty twenty two. I mean, I not to discredit Joe Milton, I think he'll be fine at quarterback, but I don't think any Quarterback can match Hinden Hooker's production in 2022. Now, if Joe Milton does, then I think we're talking about a Heisman candidate and Tennessee is probably competing for a championship. But I mean, that's just hard to ask of anybody. Hinden Hooker was smart beyond a college quarterback should be, had great arm talent and his pocket presence, and he knew when to run. There was never a time where Tennessee would take negative yards. They never got behind the chains, it felt like, because if the plays weren't there, Hinden Hooker put the ball down, ran for five yards, and then slid. Like, he was always getting positive yards. I don't know if we'll see that from Joe Milton as much this season, which is why I say that the defense has impressed a ton in fall, and I think they'll continue to impress. You have a ton of depth in the defensive back room. So now there's no longer the problem where, hey, if X player gets burnt, there's no replacement because he's all we have. Now if X player is not getting it done, you have Y, Z, A, B, and C sitting on the bench ready to go get it done. There's competition in that room. They're ready to play. They look better in practice than they did a season ago. You have two really veteran linebackers, which you which means you won't have the locker room problems you had on the defensive side a year ago. You have a lot of defensive linemen, good edge rushers. Byron Young is a big guy to replace. But I think that defense will take a massive step forward and that could be the difference in some of these games that went each way in 2022 because – now Tennessee doesn't have to score sixty or seventy points; they can get away with scoring forty points if the defense is capable.
0: No, I completely. Yeah, no. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely bold to see to say the defense is going to be pretty high tier and stuff like that. But like, I mean, I mean, I can absolutely see it. You know, I mean, it's it's not an impossible thing. It's just, man, that defense was rough last year, and they're going to need to take a big step forward to be kind of of that upper, upper echelon of the SEC. But hey, they're all back together. Uh you really only lost one guy on that on that unit so hey you know what they could pull it off maybe but you know with 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 a bold take like that with a bold with a bold thought of how how good that Tennessee defense could be let's go and reason it back down right we've talked around it we've talked about it we've gone through i'm going to get i'm going to ask for your ceiling i'm going to ask for your floor i'm going to ask you to meet me right in the middle what do you think te- what are your expectations for Tennessee's uh what do you think Tennessee's going to do this year?
1: I'll start I'll start with the floor, set the foundation. I think the floor would be
0: 8 and 4. And I think that would be
1: very disappointing for Knoxville for just the way Tennessee fans are. Like most programs 8 and 4 is a respectable season. Think you'd probably get 9 if you go to the bowl game, but in Tennessee that w- at Tennessee at Knoxville that would be a disappointment and I think those losses if they you lose Florida, you lose Georgia, Alabama would probably be in loss in that situation. And then that fourth, maybe a Texas A&M if they learn how to play football. South Carolina, like you said. Kentucky's another wild card with Devin Leary. I mean, there's so many games I could see going each way right now because nobody's played a snap of football that I feel like 8-4 and four is the floor, and that would still be disappointing, but I think that's the lowest I would see them going. And then my ceiling, I mean, 11-1 and one undefeated is not out of the question. A lot has to go your way for twelve and zero. So I think eleven and one is your ceiling. I think that Georgia game in Neyland Stadium late in the year, once you have your offense figured out with the new players, that's a winnable game. Alabama, they're going to take a step back into a time capsule and run a I formation uh, offense every down. That's a winnable game. You can easily outfirepower that. I mean, Florida's winnable. All of these games on the schedule I could see a Way Tennessee wins. I just I don't want to say 12 and 0 cuz I don't think this program is there yet. 11 and 1 I'd say is respectable. I still think they drop a game somewhere. I mean, like you said, going to Florida is not fun. Going to Alabama's not fun. Going to Lexington even though it's not to the echelon of Florida and Alabama is still not easy. I mean, you're still traveling to an SEC environment. My prediction, I would say 10 and 2 is where they'll sit. Looking at it right now, I think, like we've talked about, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, I think they would lose two of those. Maybe throw A&M in there. I think they lose two of those games, which you win two. Now, which two? I have no idea. Could it be Georgia at home? And then they just lay an egg at Alabama on the road. Who knows? But I think 10-2 and two is realistic, and then you go to a bowl game and you're 11-2 and two again set up with Nico taking over the reins and squirrel white going into his junior season next year. And who knows what could happen then? So I would say ten and two would be my prediction right now. Obviously not a snap of football has been played and that could change very quickly.
0: No, I, I completely agree with that. And, and I could easily see a scenario where Tennessee does beat Georgia, but still, but, but, but they've got so many tough road games this year that I could easily see them fall into a couple of those. But it's, it, we're really at a point now that Tennessee's got such a quality roster that really any game, even when you're playing the defending back-to-back national champions, they're in it, you know? And, and I'm sure that alone is probably a great feeling for Tennessee fans in general, is to just be like, there's not a game that we are so completely out of this year.
1: Yeah, and like you said, being in it is enough, I feel like, with Josh Heupel's offense. Because, I mean, you saw it last year. There were times where the Florida game, I thought they were done, toast. But Anthony Richards had run it all around. But when you put that offense on the field, I mean, you put 20 seconds on the clock, they're going to get – they can score. So being in it, I feel like, is enough. And that's why with my bold-ish take with the defense, if your defense keeps you in that game with Georgia, keeps you in that game with Alabama, there's no reason your offense can't finish it off. That was the problem last season, I felt like. While the offense took a while to get going in Athens with the crowd noise and everything, your defense didn't help you very much. And you saw that a lot at – against Florida, against Alabama, Neyland Stadium, those turned into shootouts because your defense was non-existent. South Carolina, your defense was even more non-existent, and then your offense struggles and you lose that game. So if the defense can keep you in those games, Josh Heifel's offense can put up points and win those games. It's just a matter of are you in it with two minutes left in the fourth quarter.
0: No, I I absolutely agree. And yeah, that defense, and hey, if your bold take is right, I mean, Tennessee could absolutely be in it. Their offense will always be in it, especially with Josh Heupel at the helm. But either way, this is going to be a fun Tennessee team. They're going to win a lot of games, and it's going to be fun to see how they progress through the season, especially because we know second to last week of the season, of the regular season, we got a big-time matchup that, that we're definitely going to preview when it comes down to it. But, Caleb, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. But before we get out of here, I wanted to give you the time to go ahead and and, and plug and shout out whatever you'd like, and uh, tell everyone where they can find you.
1: Yeah, so you can find me personally at CalebJiro16 on all social medias, and then the Daily Beacon. We're doing a ton of great work. We're our school is starting a student media, so you can a student media conglomerate, I guess. So we're all going to be under the same umbrella. So you can see our radio guys, our writers like myself at the Daily Beacon. All of our stuff will be starting to be produced together i guess would be the best way to put it but yeah we start school next week i don't know about you owen but that's always a hectic time and then the week after that we'll have five days straight of football content volleyball content soccer content previewing all of our fall sports we've got some great features coming out with amari thomas and some couple a couple other big names tennessee maybe a little talk with the athletics director that y'all will be able to find at the daily beacon and yeah just keep up with our work twitter facebook you can find us anywhere are where- not hard to find and i mean we're gonna have a fun football season whether it goes
0: haywire early or very good to the end i'm excited for it absolutely man it was a pleasure and and we'll absolutely be more in, uh, in contact and stuff like that but again man thank you for coming on yes sir thank you Owen. absolutely